Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to HIV Hope and Charity, a podcast series brought to you by TVPS, a charity that's been supporting people affected by HIV since 1985. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess and we work for TVPS and our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. If you like the podcast, please rate, subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Do you hear that sharp intake of breath? Is that Welcome. you? That's me. Welcome to HIV Hope and Charity. Is that how you begin? <gasps> like you're shocked. Yes. <laughs> how are you? How's your week been? My week's been good. Oh, that's just me being dramatic. I'm going to start every sentence like that. I like yeah. it. Why not? <laughs> I'm permanently shocked. I had a great week listening to all those songs. Did you? Yes. Oh, some of them are sad. They're slow songs, aren't they? Yeah, very sad. My dogs like them, though. They had a little snooze to them. They liked the slow ones. Less keen on the Wu-Tang Clan, but that's fine, you know. It's not for everyone, is it? And my dogs were just like, put Jesus to a child back on. Oh, yeah. well, I'm glad. I'm glad they enjoyed them. Do you know what we are doing this week? Is it, well, I was going to say, is it a hero or history? But I mean, that, that, that they're the only two categories we cover. So by default, it will be either a hero or history. <laughs> It's a history. Okay. We're going to step back in time. We're going to look at the history of HIV. Cool. I thought you were going to say the 80s and I was going to be like, man, give it up. We're over the 80s. No, no. We're going to look at where the virus originated. So we know how the pandemic started and we know everyone thinks it was patient zero. We We bisted that myth. We busted that myth a long time ago. And we know, in actual fact, it can't be attributed to one single person, but it's more likely than not that it did come from one area of the world, the Democratic Republic of Congo, as it was then known. And then it's transferred overseas to Haiti and onto America. Haitians had been working in the Congo. But why the Congo and how did it start? That is what we're looking at. 
because oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was going to say, why she just entered into telling me the entire podcast in the first five minutes? I was like, what are we doing? She's just giving me this. But I see what you're saying. We're going back even <laughs> further than that. Yeah, so it was a very long-winded explanation of why I'm doing this. Well done for sticking with me. I did not see this coming. Well, no, I didn't tell you what we were doing, mainly because uh, I don't know why, actually. Oh, our communication skills are poor this week. Keeping secrets from me. What? Yes. Yes, I am. Well, you've just shattered my dreams today. (laughs) Yeah. Transparent relationship. Not so transparent, is it? No. Oh, sneaky secrets. Yes, I want to be known as Sneaky Sarah from now on. You don't want to be known as He-Man? No. <laughs> For anyone that doesn't know, that was in a previous episode. So, But if, you, if you're with us and you get the reference, great job. Amazing. Uh, Love to have you here. Okay. So why the Congo? How did it start? Do you know the true answer to that question is nobody actually knows. <laughs> and that's the end of this week's podcast. <laughs> so we're going to address this whole thing, but actually nobody really knows anyway. So it's no, not true. That's not true. There's been loads of research in recent years. And actually, I think we can say with some certainty that we do know how it all started. I'm intrigued because I think the most I know is, but it's not that I know it. It's just I have heard that it's like the monkey bite situation. I enjoyed how you said heard then. <laughs> It's because I'm still reeling from the last episode where I had to sing everything. Oh, okay. Well, no, you do not have to sing. You can sit back, relax. We're going to look at, well, I've taken this from history.com. We're looking at, yes, the original source of HIV. So scientists trace the origin of HIV back to chimpanzees. They have a very similar to HIV, and it's called simian immunodeficiency virus or SIV. I always want to say sieve, but we don't call it HIV, do we? So it must be SIV. Like like in cats, like cats have FIV, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. This is what chimpanzees have. Ah. And it works, it attacks their immune system in a similar way to how HIV attacks our immune system. In 1999, researchers identified a strain of chimpanzee SIV, which was almost identical to HIV. So they called it... Oh, we love initials, don't we? They called it SIV-CPZ. What? This, I, exactly, I know. Which is um, it's like SIV-Chimpanzee. Oh, it rhymes. I should have just gone with that. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, I'm with you. So this particular strain, SIV-CPZ, CPZ, they believe chimpanzees contracted from two smaller species of monkeys, which chimpanzees are known to hunt and eat. Who knew that monkeys ate each other? Oh, chimpanzees are savage. They're really violent. Oh, and these monkeys, they're so cute. So red-capped mangabays and greater spot-nosed monkeys. They're two little monkeys. That's what chimpanzees were killing and eating. I know. And they had two strains of SIV. When they combined that in the chimpanzees, it produced SIV-CPZ. And that's the strain that can spread between chimpanzees and humans. Because not all strains, monkeys have lots of strains of HIV, just or SIV, just like we have lots of strains of HIV, but not all of them can be transferred to humans. But this particular strain can. So it was just one that could be. Yes. Now, scientists think it's most likely that SIV CPZ made the transfer to humans when hunters in Africa ate infected chimps or the chimps infected blood got into cuts or wounds that the hunters had. Not as I've been told in the past, that humans got it because they had sex with monkeys. 
Has someone actually said that to you? A service user. But now I think about it, they were probably just winding me up. <laughs> I just took it as verbatim. I was like, oh, gosh. Okay, well, fair enough. Well, thank goodness we're doing this episode. At least we're dispelling that myth. I mean, I had heard, obviously, like I've just said, the bite theory. But that makes more sense, what you're saying, that actually perhaps it's from eating them. Or, you know, if you're a hunter, you're probably going to have cuts and things on your hands. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So, I mean, it all sounds very plausible, right? Yeah. The next thing I'm going to tell you blew my mind. Because researchers believe the first transmission of SIV to humans led to a pandemic occurring in 1920 in Kinshasa, the capital of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Now, the only pandemic I know that occurred then was the Spanish flu that started in 1918. The pandemic the scientists are referring to is actually the AIDS pandemic. Look at your, see, this is how my face looked when I was putting this together. I was like, no. I thought the pandemic started in the late 70s, early 80s. No, we're wrong. Actually started in 1920. You have blown my mind a bit. Who knew? I have this horrible knee-jerk reaction, though, that whenever you say pandemic, I just think COVID. Oh. So every time you keep saying pandemic, my mind just goes, COVID. And it's like, no, no, no. no. Other. So, wow. I know. So if the pandemic started in 1920, the first transmission would have occurred prior to that. So probably around the 1900s, because, you know, HIV's got incubation period of around, I don't know, say 10 years on average. So that means that people were transmitting HIV to each other in the early 1900s. You're blowing my actual mind. I know. Over 100 years ago. Yeah. It's not just me, is it? I mean, I was just all afternoon going, no, No, they should tell people this stuff. Why don't we talk about this enough? I have never heard this. Nor have I. Do you know why, Sarah? It's because no one did an HIV history podcast before. That's literally why. But, oh, that is very interesting. Now, when people actually ask me, like you're saying, like our service users, because I have been asked before, um, and I always sort of say, I'm not a historian. I don't know. I'm sort of here right now to support you with something different. Now I can have answers for them. Yeah. But I always say, oh, yeah, the AIDS pandemic started in the late 70s, early 80s. Talking rubbish. Been around a lot longer than that. So we need to go back to 1920 because we need to get to the bottom of this because you know when I was pulling all the notes together I was like oh, surely not and if it did start in 1920 why did it take so long to become prevalent in the UK okay well we are going to address some of that and hopefully make it clearer very helpfully the BBC have done um, they've done all the work for us because they published an article on their website in 2014 about all of this and they based their article on an article published in Science Magazine. So the scientists undertook something called viral archaeology. Oh, wow. I know. They used HIV genetic code to source its origin. And all the evidence pointed to Kinshasa, which is in the Democratic Republic of Congo. So then they thought, well, why there? Why not anywhere else in Africa? And if it did start there, why would you then class that as the start of a pandemic? Yeah. So come on, let's go back to Kinshasa. Okay. So at the time in the 1920s, and we're out of our comfort zone because we've never gone this far back in history, Kinshasa was located on the Sangha River. So it was really well connected anyway. You could travel up from Cameroon to Congo that way. And that is how they believe the virus first came to Kinshasa. They reckon someone carried it up the river from Cameroon. Um, So it is possible it originated in Cameroon, 
you can't prove that. They've developed an HIV family tree to try and pinpoint it as much as they can. And that's as far as they've got. They can't trace it back any further. Yeah, they can't go to that literal point. So we're sort of focusing on Kinshasa because that's where the biggest spread happened or like you're saying, the pandemic truly began. Yes, but they think it didn't originate there. It possibly was from Cameroon uh, where kind of hunting was more prevalent, but they don't know for sure. But if it did come to Kinshasa, how did it spread so quickly, quickly enough to be considered a pandemic? The answer to that is that Kinshasa was booming. So the area is already well known for mining, but they're also developing a a rail network. And that brought lots and lots of male labourers to the area. So their population increased really, really quickly and it distorted the gender balance. Men outnumbered women by two to one. That created a roaring sex trade. So the number of sexually transmitted infections rose very, very quickly. That meant that services of health clinics were in demand and health clinics at that time didn't always sterilise their equipment, including needles. So you've got a growing population, a growing sex trade and lack of sterilisation in healthcare settings all led to a very quick spread of HIV. Because I was literally just thinking, okay, so how is it spreading? Is it just through sex? But when you put it like that, and actually there are other avenues right there, of course, that's going to spread like wildfire, isn't it? Yeah. And it did spread from Kinshasa, but it took a little while. Because although they're developing the rail network, um, people very much kind of stayed, worked, lived in their own area. But by the end of the 1940s, a million people were using that rail network. That helped to spread the virus to neighbouring areas of Brazzaville, the mining province of Katanga. They were all rapidly hit. So all of a sudden, you've got an African nation whose population can travel much more easily than in previous years. That makes so much sense because the fact that you've got the Increased population because of the railroad. Sorry, it just blowing my mind. It's the perfect storm. That's exactly how scientists describe it. It's a perfect storm just waiting to happen. Madness, isn't it? I wonder what would happen if the railroad never went in or went somewhere else. You know, how would that have changed history? We'll just never know. No, we won't know. Having said that, the virus remained fairly contained until it spread to Haiti in the 60s. In a reclaimed gas episode, we talk about that, about how it spread to Haiti from the Congo. So listen to that if you want to understand how it came across to America. Yeah, you'll have to go all the way back. That is the first in our series of Heroes and History podcasts. And I know we talk about in the Degas episode that there's a fascination, isn't there, with pinpointing individuals who spread the virus. And even though we're looking much further back in history, the same happens. And I always hesitate to name people, to be honest, because in some cases it's since been disproven. So it actually is worth mentioning them and clearing their name. And in others, it's never been disproven, but nor has it been proven. And yet HIV is now associated with them forever. So we're going to look at a few. I think people really love to point fingers. They need to say this is your fault. And then, you know, you'll never pinpoint which person contracted it in the first place in Africa and, and spread it to Kinshasa. But they do their very best to go back as far as they can to trace people who they think had HIV. Very dangerous, that, though, isn't it? I know we're about to talk about something very dangerous, as we learned in Reclaim Jugar. I mean, obviously, I know that's a slightly different situation. But like you're saying, if no one's proved or disproved it, then... Why are we still associating them with it? Mm. And yet it's in the public domain. It's kind of widely written about. So the first person that's mentioned, is he the first to contract? He is. Was somebody called Richard Graves, a 28-year-old 
World War II veteran who had been stationed in the Solomon Islands. And he died in 1952 in Memphis, uh, in Tennessee, from pneumonia, which, as you know, pneumonia is one of the opportunistic infections that could cause AIDS. Now, they suggest he had an AIDS diagnosis, but they can't prove it. I feel like anybody now, looking back in time, that died of pneumonia, people are like, oh, yeah, it's probably AIDS, which is a bit unfair. Well, it is, isn't it? Because we do know that, obviously, other people also get pneumonia. So it is a bit bizarre just to be pinpointing in that way. And actually, the next person we're going to talk about, this happens to so his name was David Carr. He was from Manchester here in England, and he had served in the Navy. And he died in August 1959. And for a long time, it was mistakenly reported that he died from AIDS because he'd had pneumonia and his immune system failed. I know. They just literally went through, did they? And went, right, anyone that's had pneumonia, sits AIDS. Yeah, and but they kept, they preserved 50 of his tissue samples for inspection. And in 1990... The tissues were found to be HIV positive. This is why the the link's there. But two years later, AIDS researcher called David Ho found that the strain of HIV present in those tissues was similar to those found in 1990 rather than an earlier strain. So he concluded that those samples actually came from a patient with AIDS in the 90s. It couldn't have been David Carr's tissues. And actually, when he found David Carr's tissues and tested them, he found no sign of the virus. Oh, my goodness. So poor old David Carr for years was reported at having died of AIDS and being one of the first, probably the first British man to die of AIDS. And it's wrong. He didn't. Once you've said it, it's hard to get away from that. It, it, isn't it? Because yeah. hearing that that's the first person that's died of AIDS, that's that grabs your attention. Later down the line going, oh, we made a mistake. Actually, he didn't. No one, no one cares. Don't worry, David, through the podcast, we've cleared your name. Yeah, we're clearing names all over the place. Dugar, David Carr, oh, they rhyme. (laughs) But good, I'm proud of us, by the way, clearing people's names. Definitely. Now, there are others as we carry on through a Haitian called Adrian Antonio. Again, it was suggested he was a possible early AIDS case. He developed symptoms which were similar to the symptoms which David Carr developed. He died in 1959 from a rare kind of pneumonia, the same kind, actually, that killed Carr. Many years later, a doctor who had performed the autopsy on Antonio's body was asked whether or not he thought his patient had died of AIDS. And he said, yeah, I think he did. It was very unusual at the time. And then he says, Lord knows how many cases of AIDS have been autopsied that we didn't even know had AIDS. I think it's a very strong possibility I've often thought about getting them to send me the tissue samples. Jeez. I know. Do they keep tissue samples when people have autopsies? Presuming they must do. Where do they store them all? And how long for? Yes. I'm not sure I want my tissue stored. Well, it depends how you die. They might not give you an autopsy, Sarah. (laughs) It's very odd, though, that they're just saying, oh, well, you also had, you know, this weird kind of pneumonia, must also be AIDS. They're just sort of getting a little bit cavalier with it at this point. I think so. And the same goes for um, kind of people who died in Africa. So there are several examples of Congolese people. They're not named, so maybe their names weren't recorded, but they've looked at preserved blood samples taken from people who died in They call it Leopoldville, which was the name for Kinshasa. 
original name for there. And again, although they can say with some, well, they can't say with certainty that they all died of, of AIDS, but I think they're saying, well, it's more probable than not that the samples we've taken from men and women show that HIV possibly was present. It's all, all a bit vague, isn't it? But you are going back, you know, like a good few years, 50 years. Yeah, it just does seem slightly vague because it's so scientific. So either it is or it isn't. There is no sort of in between, right? Yeah. I, I really don't think it's good enough to just be like, well, we think it is. I reckon there's loads of them, but we're not really sure. It's like, well, if we can't say for sure, then we can't say for sure. Absolutely. No, I would agree with you. They did in 1973, researchers drew blood from 75 children in Uganda to serve as controls for a study of Burkitt's lymphoma. They kept the blood samples and in 1985 tested the frozen blood serum to check for antibodies for HIV and found that antibodies were present in 67% of those samples. So we're in the 70s now, so they've probably got more understanding of HIV. But that gives, you know, shows by then how many people were contracting HIV. So children, so mother to baby transmission was obviously quite high. And there were a few others, two others actually, a Norwegian sailor who was called Arvid No, him, his wife and his seven-year-old daughter all died of AIDS in 1975 and 1976. So he'd first had symptoms in 1969. He had had a gonorrhea infection during his first African voyage. So they knew he was sexually active and tissue samples uh, tested in 1988 showed that the family all had HIV antibodies. So he definitely contracted HIV. And then the one I've heard of was a Danish surgeon called Greta Ask. So she was working in Zaire in 1964. She went back in 1972. Again, she's a doctor, she's treating the sick. And she was exposed to blood from lots of different patients. And that's they believe that's how she became infected. So she became unwell in 1974, returned to Denmark in 1977. Everyone's baffled by her symptoms. She died of pneumonia in 1977. Her tissues and were examined and tested after she passed away. So 10 years later in 1987, and then they found that she was HIV positive. I mean, I'd like that there's more certainty as we go on. I mean, you'd hope for that, wouldn't you? You'd hope the science yes. is getting better. Yes, definitely. So, so it, there you go. It just spread. So from Chinzano, I almost said Chinzano. Oh, <laughs> been a long Kinshasa, afternoon. Kinshasa. That's right, right? Kinshasa. So it just, that was basically the the point that they can say that just exploded from. And then where, where transport links, is that sort of what accelerated it? across the world? I mean, not just in the Democratic Republic of Congo, but people are able to move around a lot more. And so therefore, I suppose it's, I guess, air travel came in not that far after that. Yeah. Yeah. The more transport you have, the faster something like that is going to spread. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of why it gathered kind of pace, really. So before... In the late 70s, early 80s, the people they suspect had HIV, you know, one was a sailor, two were sailors, actually. So they're people who are traveling for their work. But apart from that, that you know, traveling to those areas of the world would have been unheard of, wouldn't it? Yes, really was the perfect storm. Now we know. Now when people ask us, we can actually tell them. Yes, let's correct everybody. We'll spot check everybody. When did the pandemic start? And they'll all say 70s, early 80s. And we're like, fools, it was 1920. Yeah. Rewind also like two years ago. And imagine. Imagine us recording this before COVID happened, because I feel like we would be having a very different conversation where we'd be saying, can you imagine what living through a pandemic would be like? (laughs) And now here we are two years later. (laughs) 
yes now we know exactly what it's like mm, we're part of it and we can see how covid traveled and moved around the world yeah and look how quickly it did travel do you remember those early days when we were putting those posters up in the center because public health had asked us to and i was just there like this is crazy what are we doing oh what if you've traveled to china recently and yeah if you have these symptoms and we were just it just felt so, so alien so far away didn't it yeah i remember writing all the policies around it public health wanted us to write what would we do if someone alerted us to the fact that they were covid positive it was all just very played down wasn't it in the early days massively the one thing I really hope that's come out of this though is I hope that the routine testing that we've all been doing at home like with lateral flow tests just carries on into other areas like going actually it's really routine to test things at home so I just order a post HIV test kit yeah I hope it's normalized it a lot more testing for things at home yeah I hope so too that would be nice make our jobs easier and it is it's so easy just right there just you know order order a postal test test yourself away you go well my work kit is done we've covered history next time we are going to look at some of the myths that have appeared over the years about how HIV started now that we know for sure what happened some of them are bonkers I tell you really Mm. I love a good conspiracy theory well so do I but oh well then I suppose there was some conspiracy theories about COVID that I totally bought into so (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, I can't wait, actually, because this has been very, very interesting, as always. And now I actually have useful knowledge when someone (laughs) asks me where HIV came from. Yeah, because up until now, as I said earlier, I was, oh, something to do with monkeys and sex. Well, that's it. And we should point out, it's not that we're terrible at our jobs, but obviously our job is about supporting positive people and raising awareness in the community so it's not really essential that we know every piece of history which is why we're always learning about HIV through these podcasts no you're right that's helped though doesn't it now we do know I suddenly feel very very efficient at my job I feel like I'm storing so much HIV knowledge and there's a program on at the moment about the LA Lakers really good and it's focusing on Magic Johnson, especially like how he came to be and how he got his name. But again, I'm like, oh, telling like Ben, oh, well, this happened when he was, you know, and this is how he became positive. And just, yeah, I've got all the knowledge now of all the different things. So well done you. Can't wait for conspiracy theories. I know. I can't wait to listen to it when it comes out. Do you know what? You know, you send me the podcast to listen to before it goes live just to make sure that sound quality is as good as can be expected over the internet. And I was listening to one of ours the other day. I'd come back from a walk, knocked on the front door, husband answered, and I was just, and I'd got to an extremely funny bit because we are hilarious. And he was like, oh, you're listening to something good. And I was just like, actually listening to to our own podcast. (laughs) I'm listening to myself. Oh, the shame of having to tell him. I know, his face. And I was just like, it's just a really funny bit. And he was like, what you're actually saying is you're really funny. And I was like, well, and yes, 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 we are. (laughs) As long as you make each other laugh. I think that's that's the most important thing. Like we do it and produce it just for our own entertainment. Well, we've actually got lots more listeners in the last few months. So we're not just doing it just for us. No, and well done to all of them for sticking with us. Yeah, thank you for that. And if you have, you know, any feedback, please feel free to get in touch. Or oh, I feel like I shouldn't have opened that can of worms when they're like, stop waffling enough with the jokes. You're not funny. Stop singing. I feel like it might be along those lines. Oh. 
But you never know, there might be a topic that somebody listening wants us to cover. Or a person. we haven't even thought of. So we do take requests. It has to be HIV related. But if there's a moment in history or a hero that you'd like us to talk about, we will do our very best. Yes, get in touch with us. And I should actually put the email address at the bottom of the podcast. Yeah, you should. Yeah, Otherwise, we'll do that. We'll do that. Okay, perfect. Thank you for listening to HIV Hope and Charity. If you'd like to know more about the work that we do, visit tvps.org.uk. And please like, subscribe and rate the podcast if you enjoyed it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.